Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Comics and Culture Radar, a podcast that's on the lookout for what's good to read and watch. If you don't know who Milton is, let's ask Kiefer Sutherland's father what he thinks. Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. This episode, Milton's guest is Dave Chisholm. Dave is the writer and artist of the upcoming graphic novel, Chasing the Bird, Charlie Parker in California. Dave is also a musician and educator. He is also the artist of Thompson Heller, Detective Interstellar, which he collaborated on with Milton. Dave, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Milton. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on because one of the things, or the most important thing we're here to talk about today is a book that I've had the privilege of seeing every page as it was in development and it is finally here um and i'm talking about chasing the bird charlie parker in california um why don't you give us a quick elevator pitch about the book sure well uh charlie parker it's a it's a book that was written in uh to commemorate charlie parker's 100th uh birthday um and for those of you who don't know, Charlie Parker is uh, a, a famous jazz saxophonist who lived fast and died tragically pretty young. Um, and he was mainly active as an artist in the 1940s and 1950s. Uh, and so um, the book was commissioned by his family estate, the people who manage the Charlie Parker estate. Uh, it was published by Z2 Comics, and the book it really focuses on a particularly tumultuous time in his life when he lived in California um, for a couple years. And um, the way the story is constructed is as a series of vignettes, each one narrated by a different person whose life intersected with Charlie's during this particular stretch of time. And um, I'm just so thrilled with the way this book turned out. Um, I can't wait for everybody to read it. I think it's, I think people are really going to love this book, even if they're not music fans or jazz fans. It's, it's, um, it's a bit, it's a, it's a, I think the scope of the, of the book is a little bit beyond, um, that for, I think anyone who, I think anyone could pick this up and get something from it. So that is absolutely true. But on the creation side of the book, 
you bring something to the table that separates you from other comic creators um, that's uh, directly relevant. And that is, you are not just a jazz aficionado or uh, knowledgeable person. You actually even are a jazz musician. So if anyone is listening to this um, that's not familiar with your musical pedigree, tell us real quickly um, your other area of interest outside of comics. Yeah. Um, I, I have uh, three degrees in jazz music. Um, I, including my doctorate from the Eastman school of music in Rochester, New York, where I live, which is one of the best music schools in the world. And, um, and on top of those three degrees I have, you know, shoot, how old am I now? I have like over 20 years of professional, professional experience playing music, including, um, gigs like you know, played at the Umbria Jazz Festival in Italy, and I've played in, uh, you know, overseas in China, and in, I had a weird series of concerts in Estonia at one point, and, um, and I just, and yeah, I mean, m- music and comics really are always competing for my obsession and attention, and, um, and yeah, it's just a, this is real kismet that this happened. You know, it's a, I'm lucky enough that I have gotten, I've, I'm lucky enough to have had the time and energy uh, to pursue my obsessions to like the highest degree possible. And this particular project really was a perfect co- combination of, of those obsessions into this like lovely book. So yeah. I'm a lucky guy. Yeah, you you were definitely at the right place in the right time. Um, opportunity came around, uh, and you were you were the right choice uh, for the estate to do this. Um, I do have one very uh, kind of key question about the format of the book. Uh, as you said, it's it's structured in a, a series of vignettes. Um, but even beyond being structured in a series of vignettes, um, each vignette is told from a different person's point of view. And these people don't necessarily agree. Um, they don't necessarily paint a consistent picture. There's a bit of a, a Rashomon-like quality to this story. And I'm curious, was that a narrative choice that you made or is that just kind of inherent in anybody that's entering the world of Charlie Parker? That's a great question. Um, I think that, I think that the answer is maybe a little bit of both. Um, Charlie Parker. No, no, no. You got to pick one. Darn it. Not (laughs) Charlie Parker is this, uh, this legendary mythological figure in jazz. And he, he kind of, when, when he kind of like hit at the perfect time where just enough of his life was captured and so much of his music is recorded. Um, but like, there's still a, an air of like mystery and legend around him. And he's one of these figures who lived such a large life with a tremendous appetites in every way that, that there's a lot of like myth building around his, his existence that is, is un, deniable. And so, um, 
and I and from 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 moment zero, from the very first moment, I I wanted that legend to factor into the story in some way, um, and the fact that like legend doesn't necessarily match up with like factual reality, and I wanted to lean into that, um, and so pretty quickly it became like you like you said like a Rashomon thing where you're getting a lot of people's point of view of this of this man um and you know the when i when i spoke with the estate people in the the very first conversation we had they were like well we don't want this book to be a boring documentary and thankfully i didn't want to draw that either um i'm sure those graphic novels can be good to read but i didn't really feel like making making a a kind of like heavily narrated documentary style um, kind of Ken Burns does Charlie Parker graphic novel. I wanted it to be a little more dynamic, a little more fun and a little more leaning into the myth that, that does exist around Charlie Parker. And then um, also allowing me to kind of like flex a little bit um, in terms of the comics visual vocabulary and storytelling vocabulary to to in order to like make each each um chapter the storytelling and visual style really crafted to to depict the biases and points of views of each of the respective narrators yeah um one of the sort of i i hate to go hyperbolic here but i mean almost damn near miraculous aspects of this book is you have managed to make a graphic novel sing. You have managed to make music itself be an element in the story. Um, and I think you maybe arrived at this kind of maybe cumulatively through some of your other music-related uh, projects. But with this book in particular, you've kind of uh, invented a visual grammar to where people reading this book also kind of hear the music in a weird way. Um, how, was that something you you really wanted to try to break ground on? Did it just sort of happen? Um, how did that come about? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for the thanks for the kind words, Milton. I appreciate it very much. Uh, well, for, first I'll, I'll say that um, you can't. I, for me, it, I, I looked at it as like my responsibility here with this project. Um, that like you, I, I as like a as like a, a musician who's like a like a musically literate person. Um, I feel like one of my responsibilities with a project like this, since I knew it was going to be my highest profile book, like that I'll have done to date, maybe maybe ever. Um, that I, my responsibility was to kind of like help, exp, help like explain, even if it's in some kind of like guttural, like visual, unexp, like my, I, I guess to educate, educate people in some meaningful way about like what makes Charlie Parker's music special. And even, like I said, even if it's in a way that's like not like, follow the bouncing ball and you can like 
learn, understand what's going on with Charlie Parker or like, here's what's happening in measure five or something like that. But more like on a kind of gut level where you, where the music um, is like incorporated into the, into the book and on a more, on a more like structural fabric that, that people that will help people understand um, Parker. So like uh, sort of like I t- will. And, and, and so like, to tell the story, this story, I felt like it was my responsibility to really try to bridge that gap. Um, I'm in a unique position where, like, I'm I can make I have the chops to make the comic, and I have the musical chops to kind of teach it. And I teach music, like that's my that's like one of my jobs that I have is I'm a music teacher. And so, um, with that, and in, in finding a way to thread that needle without being overly pedantic, over to make so people didn't feel like I was talking like lecturing at them about music theory or something like that and and the estate didn't want that either and so um and then and then on another level this idea of like bridging the gap between music and comics is definitely a long-standing obsession of mine um my my 2017 graphic novel instrumental came with a soundtrack of music that went with it and i teach a class at um rit rochester institute of technology called uh comics and music where my students make comics the based on music and with a real emphasis on on formalism and structural kind of the structural as the structural aspects at play in each of these respective types of media and so this is an obsession of mine um and i felt like so like add that obsession into like the fact that i felt responsible to to help like educate people on some level about like Charlie Parker's music and this is this is what came out um yeah man i i'm i'm really happy with the way it turned out on that level i think it was a real conscious um conscious decision and i'm and i think it turned out good the other the other thing is that i have to add is that the in order uh the the other thing i was going to say is that is the um the way it's structured, being told through as a series of vignettes in diff- each one in a different style, allowed me also to explore a few different ways of depicting music on the page. So it, it was nice because I didn't have to necessarily commit to one particular way. I could explore a variety of ways, which you know, um, again gives me gives the reader that gives the non-literate non gives gives the variety of li- of of readers with all of their different types of musical experience or lack of musical experience, uh, as many inroads as possible. To you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to be so uh, politically correct about it. I represent that side of the audience, unwashed, musically illiterate masses. Just <laughs> call them the Miltons. <laughs> uh, yes, all the Miltons of the world. I wanted to give as many inroads as possible, so that like people who are musically literate could look at it and be like, "Oh, this is like." This is actually the solo that Charlie played when at this party at Zorthian's ranch. And this is these are the actual notes that he played flowing out of his saxophone. Or when they go to the Dizzy chapter, they're like, oh, the, they, they can get it based on what those like neon like squares and geometric shapes that are coming out of the instruments. Um, and then, you know, like throughout the book, all of these... Um, different ways of like depicting music kind of make themselves known. Now, if I recall correctly, 
the uh, the part that you talked about threading the needle, and uh, I'll go ahead and insert the most obviously uh, terrible cliche here, uh, hitting the right note on, <laughs> <clears throat> which is finding that sweet spot of balancing your responsibility to this, to this grand story, your uh, desire as an educator and, and uh, a musical teacher uh, to convey this to, to a broad audience, but also on the other side, not going too far and not getting overly lecturerly. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall correctly, in the earliest phases of birthing it, it you had a couple of uh, cycles of figuring that out before you arrived at that sweet spot. Can you can you remember like any kind of general principles or? Uh, was it more of a gut feel going to various extremes before you arrived at the right happy medium? How, how did you uh, satisfy yourself on, on those competing interests? Um, gosh, that's a good question. And I don't know if I have a good answer. I think, I think just like, um, Hmm. To be honest, Milton, I think at this, I think for this particular, for, for this particular book, I went with my gut from like mm-hmm. moment one. And, um, at one point in the scripting, the, the estate people, the only piece of feedback that I, the, that I, um, got in that early phase was like, um, pretty early on. And they were like, don't be careful not to put too much musical jargon in the book. And so, um, so I took that note and I was like, okay, duly noted. And that, and it allowed, kind of gave me like, um, you know, a chance to play like the teaching a music appreciation class. Like how many ways can you look at, like how many ways can you explain organically what's happening in a Charlie in a piece of music by Charlie Parker or you know like J.S. Bach or whoever and explain it explain it to like the all the Miltons of the world um in a in a way that's that's not gonna make them feel like like stupid you know um yeah you you managed to you, you hit that note perfectly honestly because I felt that I learned a ton not just about this one particular musician who's obviously of enormous importance, but just jazz history in general. Um, and uh, one other thing that you did that seems now I, I may be totally wrong on this, but one thing that feels totally authentic throughout the book is it, it conveys a sense of a time and place uh, really well. It feels of the era and I'm wondering, you know, the the important moments in this story are what, like 80 years ago. So how did you manage to bring that period to life visually? <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, I would say that, like, that's very kind of you to say. I'm sure that people who are, like, real obsessive aficionados of, like, 1940s and early 1950s like American culture will probably look at this and be like hey like this is this person is dressed in a way that's like 
10 years too late or 10 years too early. Um, and so with regards to like the way that people, that people talk, I just, I, I read a lot of interviews. I, by like, as I found as much as I could find by each of the narrators and tried my best to capture their voice in a, as authentic a way as possible without like, um, with a way that still gave me freedom to like be creative and kind of let the characters breathe on the page. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, I, I would say that like probably some of the conversations in the book surrounding the topic of race are a bit, are probably much more contemporary than, than any conversation that happened it probably those those conversations are more at home in like a 2020 world than they are in a 1949 world. So, you know, I and I did that. I walked into that knowing full and well what I was doing. It wasn't it wasn't I don't think it's it's not accidental. It's more like writing finding that finding that balance between being authentic to the era but also writing for like a contemporary audience um in a way that's going to communicate the ideas that need to be communicated effectively. So like not just thinking about, you know, the just purely about being authentic, but also thinking about finding a way that's going to land with readers in the present day and forward. Uh, so, so yeah, man, I mean, and, but, but, but then on top of that, like there's a lot of research, you know, a ton of like, my, for, for a while, you know, I work with like my laptop open next to me and I probably had like 200 tabs open in my like internet browser that were all just like reference photos of like places and cars and interiors and stuff like that, like furniture and stuff like that from the time. Uh, and just have, having that stuff open all the time. I mean, yeah, that's, that's about it. Just pretty typical stuff. We're, we live in an amazing time to do kind of period work like this um, because we have Google image search to help us out. <laughs> Although if you can, if you can always believe it too, maybe it's, um, maybe it's, uh, maybe sometimes Google lies. I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so we've talked about some of the challenges in, in this book already. There's the challenge of conveying music itself on a page there's the challenge of having multiple narrators that don't necessarily agree there's the challenge of dealing with racial topics uh removed uh from a time period there's the challenge of the time period itself um there's the legendary aspect of parker and the importance of getting those details right um and then there's another one uh that i would like to ask you about which is uh your subject in this book is uh, a person who dealt with addiction and the uh, addiction is, is a, a very important component of the story, but uh, to your credit, it, it does not overwhelm the story in any respect. Um, and I often feel that this is a mistake that a lot of uh, filmmakers or biographers or uh, graphic novelists who take on a, a topic uh, of, of this when when that dimension is brought into a story 
it, it can easily overwhelm and reduce that person mm-hmm. into being th- that's their entire existence that they are an addict. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And uh, how how did you manage uh, dealing with that very sensitive and difficult uh, terrain? Um, well, again, like I would say, probably the angles that we, it, I'm, I think I'm really, really benefit from a 2020 point of view on addiction, um, and it, and it kind of, oh, like the discourse, the current discourse around addiction is very different now than it was, you know, than it was in like 1945 or whatever, 49. So it's like. Or even just like ten years ago, I mean, it's different. So like, it's it's always unfolding the way we kind of understand this and the way we frame it, the ways in which we frame it, like socially, and so um, and you know that 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 what you're saying is really holds true. I think for a lot of like media, when you see like a uh um like a gay character in in a piece of media, that becomes the the overwhelming you know that their like whole character arc is going to be about their, their like gayness. Or if you have a character who's like black in a piece of media, like how often do we see black media that is just only centered around like black misery and black grief. Um, And yeah, there's a, there's sadly like too much of like a disproportionately high amount of that historically and in the present day but like um it's powerful to recognize that like these that the your subjects in a story are have many dimensions so like just because you have a character who's like korean american there you don't the story doesn't need to be about their korean americanness just because you have a story about um an addict doesn't mean the entire story has to revolve around their uh, afflictions and addictions and so like um you know with this that said like when you look at char like when you really kind of examine and put all the pieces out for charlie's life in kind of a honest way and you look at the, all the pieces you realize that like the part of him or at least maybe this is just this is my point of view um, I don't think I come down definitively in the book. That's another advantage of like having this vignette style is it kind of allows me as the author to present a lot of points of view without ever staking my claim on any one of them, um, which, you know, is kind of, I, I guess, how I live my life a lot. But anyway, that's a different story. And so like with um, Char- when you when I look at Char- all the pieces of Charlie Parker's life and and um, you look at it honestly, you can see that like the part of him that addicted to heroin and alcohol and he had like a food addiction and would just eat enormous quantities of food, just binge like crazy. And he was addict. He was, you know, um, very like promiscuous sexually and not great at relationships and basically was like, you nowadays maybe we would call him like a sex addict or something like that as well uh but you can also see that like if that part of him didn't exist probably the musician that we know and love and that the musician that truly like changed the landscape for music in the world in like a short career he died at age 34 
that 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 he wouldn't have made that music because his obsession is his obsessive side is exactly what what uh pushed him to like practice for like 16 hours a day and to kind of break all these boundaries and push himself to the point that like he's this he's like beyond virtuoso kind of genius level improviser and musician and so um and so you know and and you'll find that if you examine the people in your life the the it's really common maybe this is just something i've noticed with people but the part of them that you love and admire the most has a dark side to it right so if you if you love someone because they're so driven and they're so determined and they're so focused that pro- that person is probably miserable to be in a relationship with because they're like never totally there with you they're always on they always have their pro- their thing that they're determined on, on in their mind right so it's the same thing that you love about them becomes the thing that you hate or like um if you love that someone i mean i if you if you love that someone is like a free spirit and adventurous you know that person will probably break your heart at some point by because of that free spiritedness right or yeah. if you or if you love that someone has like the biggest heart or whatever and is is a really sensitive person that you know then that can be pro- that can probably lead to some conflict later on or you know and so when you look at a person like Charlie like on a, in a bigger picture you could say that like all the the obsession that we love about him can't be separated from the obsession that we hate about him that we that we that breaks our hearts about him and it's really a picture of humanity you know this is like the things we love about humanity are the it's the exact same things that we hate about humanity um not to get too poetic about my book or something like that this is not so much about my book uh, or depict my depiction of charlie but just more like an observation um and 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 you know the 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 thing that's fascinating about charlie's story is that he when he would look at he would just take people at face value from this from the sound of it and he sounds like someone who was just genuinely curious and genuinely genuinely exploring and again this is like this ties in can tie into someone's life in a negative way not just like in a way that's like oh what a great curious person but also like curious people take probably take more risks than than people who aren't curious right and um and the and but it, but as a result you see someone who showed up on earth for like a short amount of time and changed everything and then when you look at the structure of the book he this is exactly what he does for all of these people who are narrating the book like he shows up into their life for like a day or an afternoon or a weekend or like a couple of months and he changes their life forever in in a short span of time and you know it was definitely deliberate um that i structured it this way because it's this is how charlie's life impacted um music and the world so so yeah man pretty long-winded answer there sorry no, no, that was a fascinating answer. I, I, I really appreciate it. And, and every, every aspect of talking about this book, um, is, is, is fascinating to me. And, um, I think you really, from a comic creator point of view and a musician point of view, 
delivered your all, gave your all, and it, it's clearly evident on the page. And I also got to say, um, it seems like the the publisher has also delivered uh, their all, and the actual product itself is um, exquisitely packaged. You've got a very high profile forward. Um, there are a couple of very attractive different editions. Um, then in addition to the publisher, there's sort of a simultaneous series of other things around the centennial. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those things? Yeah. Well, uh, start, starting with the forward, I, I was just super thrilled and amazed and uh, honored to have to, to find out that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote the forward and Kareem is like a towering figure and uh, he's the perfect guy because for this because he's like a huge jazz head in particular he's a scholar on the jazz scene the history of the jazz scene in Los Angeles where the story takes place so like um, he had an article in like the LA Times about LA's jazz scene in the 1940s and 1950s like a couple months ago which is like completely makes him just like the perfect person for this. And he wrote this forward and it's the most powerful, the most powerful, like it, it's a huge honor. Like I can't even explain. It's just a huge honor. Um, and then Z2. Yeah. Like Z2. The, the book is in two, there's two editions. They're both hardcover editions. Um, and there's a standard edition that's a standard graphic novel size, um, and it looks awesome. Uh, the paper is really nice quality paper. All that stuff that us like book kind of bibliophiles love. Um, and then and then there's the deluxe edition, which uh, there's is limited to 1,500 copies, and it's a it's a little more expensive. The standard is 25 bucks, and the deluxe is 100 bucks. But it comes. But it's oversized. It's humongous. It's like 14 inches tall. Whereas a typical comic, I think, is about 10 inches tall or something like that. Um, it's much bigger. And it has a slip case that comes in that's beautiful. Uh, with a with like a die cut. Like a cutout for the title. The circular title logo to shine through. And then it comes with some art prints. And um, all of it comes with a record too, actually. Every... Every version of it comes with a, a vinyl. I'm not sure if the deluxe one comes with a, a different vinyl. Um, I, sh I guess I should know that, but I don't. Uh, but it, it's a vinyl record with some of Charlie previously unreleased Charlie Parker recordings from his time in Los Angeles. Um, now, I know the Bird people, the Charlie Parker people, had plans, really big, ambitious plans for his centennial, which were unfortunately... Uh, hijacked by COVID-19, which is like just the story everywhere for everything. Unfortunately, we're still in the midst of that like complete disaster. And, uh, but they, but there's some more stuff that's, that's coming around the bend. Um, there's a, there's an album of music called Bird in LA. That's, um, that's, uh, going to be uh, that, that captures a lot of the same moments that I capture in the book. And um, the liner notes for that, I've actually had the privilege of being able to read those liner notes because it doesn't come out until I think the first quarter of 2021. 
Um, the, but the liner notes on it are super fascinating and cover a lot of the same events that I cover, but from that very top-down, like, documentary point of view. So it kind of doesn't have the same, like, mythological aspect that I bring to the table. But in a funny way, it reads like a like a fact check of my book, you know. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty, it's, it's, I mean, truly, you know, as someone who's, like, lived and breathed jazz music for so much of my life. Um, this is, I have to pinch myself. It's like the biggest honor to be able to, to be given this responsibility to tell, to tell this story. Um, it, I can't even, I can't even uh, understate how huge this is. So uh, you mentioned the pandemic, which is, Obviously, the number one topic on all of our minds at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. We're re- we're recording this on the twenty second of November. Um, it's probably going to post maybe about ten days after we record it or whatever. And um, due to the pandemic, um, I don't even know the answer to this question yet. Is the book in stores yet? Um, you know. I, I, I think there, I think there was a problem at Diamond somehow regarding their, um, inventory of this book, their shipment or stock of this book. I'm not sure what exactly went wrong or if it's still wrong. Um, but I know, like, as far as I know, the book is, has, is like, getting like I think the first I think that the first stock that was at Amazon like was shipped off like really quickly and it was like they found themselves without stock like uh like immediately and um I think they maybe like underestimated the amount they needed to pre-order again I don't know how the mechanics of this work so uh but I do know that like the book is in the where in warehouse in America, like you can definitely get it from Z2. As far as comic shops go, like I should have answers. Hopefully that we have answers by the time this podcast airs. I'm anticipating some kind of answer this week about that. Um, and then I've also been told that the book is in like is is in stock at, at for Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com as well. Just that maybe they're um, Maybe that they're like online, like it gets in stock and it takes a minute for the for like uh, online to, to kind of like for their websites to catch up to what's actually in stock. So that's uh yeah that's as that's about as far as I I am in ter- in this uh, for this stuff. It's it's tricky. I mean, I wish I had a better answer for you, Milton. Well, I mean, this is the world we're living in right now. Due to the pandemic, we, we just don't know. Um, but I, I can give you direct reports myself. A couple of my friends that ordered the uh, hardcover edition received theirs a few days ago. Um, I personally ordered the deluxe edition. And according to the tracking on USPS, um, it's going to arrive tomorrow, the 23rd. So I'm nice. ecstatic about that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of weird that this 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 key moment in the release, you know, is not as uh, 
obvious and singular as it is for most books, but this is the world we live in. And I want to, I want to talk about the world we live in, in 2020. Um, you, you mentioned that 2020 gave you some advantages in, you know, having access to instant, uh, uh, you know, reference photography for this period book. It gave you added perspective on topics such as addiction and race, but you know, 2020 itself is a fucking cluster fire. <laughs> and um, I've got to imagine, you know, everybody's got their uh, challenges with the year. I've got to assume for you, um, it's been st- a struggle in the sense that, you know, um, we've talked about the fact that you're a musician and you're normally a gigging musician and you probably have not been able to have gigs and how that's affected your creative process and your overall feeling of energy and everything has got to just be a total scramble time. <laughs> well, you know, man, uh, uh, first off I'll say that like, again, to echo my sentiments at the start of this conversation, like I'm a lucky guy, really lucky. Uh, I, all my music teaching has remained intact. I just teach it via zoom. Now I teach, I still have the joy of teaching a college class, um, adjunct, you know? Um, and then, and, um, yeah, my gigs have gone away, but like really that void has been filled with more like paid, like comics work. I took, I took a ton of commissions earlier this year and I'm, I've moved on to my next, my next book at this point. And, um, so, so in a way, like for people who are purely, who aren't like kind of polymath freaks like me, um, it's been a lot harder. I do know, I do have like most of my friends are gigging musicians and I know that it's been really, uh, like existentially and also financially difficult for, um, for, for a lot of them. And it's, it really sucks. Not to mention that like people are also catching COVID-19 and like getting really sick and dying. So like I have, that hasn't happened to me yet. So I'm really lucky. Right. Um, so like first, the first thing I always do is kind of count my blessings before I launch into like my, uh, complain session. I think the biggest thing that I could complain about 2020 is the fact that the all of the pomp and circumstance that was supposed to be around the release of this book and my, and Canopus, my sci-fi book that came out earlier this year has basically been like deflated or at least just moved online, which doesn't feel as like, it's not as fun as like getting like flying out to Los Angeles to do an event. Instead, I'm doing an event on zoom. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a drag. I'm like missing my, big special moment, but all things considered, like I, I got to make this book. Um, and it's the book turned out awesome. So like, I can't complain. The other thing is I'm like kind of a introvert, like shut in, you know, kind of guy. Like I, like I tend to like work by best when I just shut myself in a room for like many, many hours at a time. And, uh, so this pandemic quarantine, has honestly been really good for my, for my productivity in that way. The other thing is I kind of like work to kind of get my mind to silence my mind. So working on my, whatever I'm working on, it just shuts that like ruminating bleak apocalyptic part of my mind 
um, in a nice in a nice way that results in me being more sane, and then also me having some co- cool comics at the end of it that have that have been made. And so, uh, yeah, and I mean, I miss gigging. I'm I'm sure that'll be back. You know, once this like vaccine stuff happens, then the wedding gigs will come, and hopefully, the people who who used to hire me for wedding gigs will call me up again. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, cool. Um, well, definitely. Um, uh, one thing you said uh, resonated with me uh, this year, in addition to your uh, sci-fi epic Canopus and uh, the newly arriving Charlie Parker book Um you collaborated with me on Thompson Heller detective interstellar. Oh yeah. Which, which had its quote unquote release a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, and there were shipping issues with that one as well. Um, and then we, we both had kind of a weird dance because we, we both have these books due out. Originally they were supposed to be months apart mm-hmm. and then things got delayed on the Parker side a bit yeah. more mm-hmm. and then things got delayed on the Heller side. And so there was this back and forth. And then there was a moment where it almost seemed like they were both going to come out on the same day, yeah, which would have been weird. Um, but I definitely feel you on the, the you, you, you came up with the perfect word deflating um, because, you know, um, we work on comic projects for a very, very long periods of time. Um, although the Charlie Parker book you did in a, in a blizzard of fury compared to other comics, which was uh, amazing in and of itself. Uh, Thompson Heller took a bit longer for a number of, uh, well, yeah, you know, the, for me, man, the reason Tom, we, cause you and I made Thompson Heller, I want to say like 2015 through twenty. 17 or something like that right yeah yeah and the reason why it took me a lot longer to draw that is because when i was making thompson heller i was like scrambling for work too right and i was drawing like three books at the same time for like there was like a children's book that i was doing at the same time there was uh tyranny of the muse which is another book that i'm still currently working on and i've been working on that with eddie wright this great writer for like years now like five years we've been working on this book um and then your book thompson heller i was doing all three of those at the same time trying to juggle between those three and i and i gotta say man that period of time for me is like the period of biggest growth for me so like part of it like a huge part of that was drawing thompson heller was like was like a a really great experience for me so um so you know thank i just gotta say thanks again milton for 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 sticking with me during that, even though I went kind of slow. Uh, man, no, it was, it was fantastic. And I'm glad I accidentally through, through my crazy script writing, uh, <laughs> uh, put you in such a challenging spot. At, oh, once you emerge to the other side, you can view it as a, as a, um, you mm. know, a quote unquote growth period. Um, that <laughs> was not, I, I don't think that was either of our intentions going in, but uh, I'm glad it worked out that way. So I appreciate that. 
Um, I guess I should uh, ask you at least a, a couple of questions on Heller, but I, I don't have any because, you know, we worked on it together. I guess um, uh, maybe just real quickly convey some of the your experiences of, of illustrating Heller from your point of view. Um, uh, cause I, I know what writing it was like. Um, what, what was it like to draw it? Uh, you know, it was like, it was really fun to draw it. And, and, um, and I think that my, my work has on some levels has changed quite a bit since I drew that. I think my process has changed a fair amount. Uh, but like, I also look back on those pages really fondly because there's like just a ton of energy on those pages, you know, like, um, and you know, like Milton, the, the ideas that are so like imaginative in the book. And so to like take those is my job, my responsibility to take those super imaginative ideas that you bring to the table and then put them on the paper in a way that, in a way that like, you know, helps, helps, uh, visually communicate these like paragraphs of like what's going on in the, in it, you know? Uh, and, and so like on one hand, on one hand it was like stressful because it was quite, the strips, the scripts were quite hard to draw. Um, but on the other hand, it was like super fun, super fun challenge. It gave me the chance to like, to, uh, to, to take a stab at like some world building visual kind of world building. That's like, um, that all, all of us artists like want to be, want to be better and better at that. Like it's something that we like most of our like legends in this, in this field, like if there's one thing that binds them all together, it's this, like they make a world that like feels in, feels like fully realized whether we're talking about Jack Kirby or like Mobius more obvious people or even someone like like Jaime Hernandez you know like those love and rockets books feel like fully realized worlds right and so not to compare myself to those guys but like it's kind of cool to like get a shot to like to like have a visual world that's like or worlds, I guess, because it takes place on a few different worlds, like build it all from the ground up. It's also a huge, huge, uh, challenge, but it was really fun, man. So thank you again. Well, you, you definitely knocked it out of the park and I, I'm super thrilled that it's finally coming out. Um, by the time this posts issue two should be in stores. Um, and, um, I'm particularly proud of all of them, but, um, uh, Issue three is probably my favorite. Um, and I think uh, you did a wonderful job on that. There were aspects of issue three that were uh, just damn near impossible to consider how to do. Um, and, and you managed to bring them about. So um, I, I can't wait for people to see that. So I'm looking forward to that, but enough about enough about our uh, uh, collaboration here. Let's move on to one other uh, topic. I like to ask, uh, comic creators um do you have any big two marvel or dc or <laughs> otherwise licensed property comics that you would ever uh want to do what do you have any dream gigs in that variety man you know my answer is going to be probably a little bit like left of center uh <laughs> uh basically like 
like my dream projects. I mean, look, I, I just to kind of echo like what Rick said, I mean, I, I grew up loving Spider-Man and, you know, I say this in every podcast I've recorded, but my mom to this day claims my first word was, was Spider-Man. And, um, and so, you know, I, I love, and I, and I, you know, I, I probably own more X-Men and Batman comics than anything else. Um, like truly, uh, and I feel like my indie cred, if you look at my shelves, my indie cred probably kind of like stinks a little bit, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I, I'm, pro- my, my tastes are probably a lot more mainstream than my, uh, published work, um, conveys. Uh, but I, but at the same time, my creative mind isn't really in that space. You know, I'm not really, mm-hmm. I don't really read Batman and think, oh, I have the perfect story for Batman or read X-Men and think the same thing. Every time I imagine myself doing a story of these characters, it's just like a day in the life kind of stories, you know, where we see like Wolverine going to buy groceries or something like that. Um, but if I, but I will say that like, you know, I'm in this zone now where like, I've kind of, you know, I I do have some dreams of like doing licensed comics for like musicians and like bands and stuff like that. And I'll put, I'll put this out there. Like one of my, like one of my dreams would be to like, to do, and this is like total, the most cliche, like nerdy, like white guy, you know, per stuff. But like, I, I would love to take like all of the music and lyrics of Radiohead's album OK Computer and like look at them and put them out, set them out on the table and craft a story that's like all encompassing for like that whole album um, and then make that project. That's what I would like to do. Well, it just so happens we have on the line Tom York. <laughs> Tom, what do you – no, okay. No, you actually no, got, I, I think I, you that would got, be- You accidentally got Tim York on the line. I think it's the wrong. <laughs> oh man, when you said that for half a second, I thought that all my life I had had his name wrong. And his <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was great. That was great. So, um yeah, I think you that would be amazing. I do think you would do uh an incredible Spider-Man. It would be um it would be Ditko-esque in the sense of not being an aping of Ditko's style, but it would, it would have a singular signature Chisholm style that people <laughs> would refer to and, and dig. And I, I, I hope Marvel one day has the uh, cojones to, to do something like that. And I, I think that day will come. I, I, I really do. I hope so. Um, you know, it would be fun for, I think it would be fun to do for a while. Uh, it would be a fun challenge. I, I would definitely, I, I, I feel like I, you know, I, sometimes I doubt my, my own, like, I look at p- writers like you got, like you and Rick and, you know, some other friends and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I have like, like 50 pitches, like 50 stories that I, that I could pitch. And I'm like, I have like, 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 like a half of a story to pitch right now, you know? But then I'm, but then on the, but then when I, I feel like when I'm given an opportunity or when some opportunity comes knocking at my door, like this Charlie Parker thing, all of a sudden, like the door, the doors of creativity, like fly open for me. So 
maybe if they were to approach me and be like, hey, do you want to do a Doctor Strange book? Then all of a sudden, like all of the cool ideas would come to me once it was a reality. But as it mm-hmm. is right now, I'm not spending any energy planning anything. <laughs> you know, I'm not. Yeah, that's not it's not really part of my brain currently. Um, so yeah, well, let's 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 hope you get that that, that challenge thrown thrown at you. Um, and, and speaking of uh, future challenges, can you can you tease anything? I, I know you're working on something at the moment that you can't really talk about. Um, but, uh, give us a high level sort of, uh, expectation of, uh, uh, what's next, uh, next for you. Uh, yeah, I'm working on another book. Um, and I, it's, I, I've saw, I've signed a contract for it and, and that's great. And that's all he can say. Thank you. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. No, <laughs> another, um, we'll, we'll say, just to, I'll be as vague as I, as specific as I can be, but isn't, which is not, which is pretty vague. It's another music related book. Um, and I'm writing and drawing it and I'm actually doing, um, everything on this one. Uh, and the, the, you know, like at this point, like the first three chapters of the script, the first 60 pages of script have been approved by editorial. And so I'm like off to the races on that. Um, I'm about 20 pages in at this point, uh, in terms of the finished art and, um, the whole thing, the whole thing as of right now, the the full, the total page count for the script is 180 pages. So it's a, it's a little bit bigger than the Charlie Parker book, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. I can't wait till I can share about it, but I I don't think that's going to be until well into 2021. Right, right. Um, I I can tell uh, folks that I've uh, I've seen a little tiny. Well, I don't even know if I can say that because um, I saw stuff before you signed a contract. Let's say. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, fans of the Charlie Parker book are 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 going to be uh, more than pleased, I think, with uh, your follow up. So um, so stay tuned, everyone. But definitely get the Charlie Parker book for now. Um, and before we close out, I have a routine question. I ask everyone, uh, what's on your radar these days? What are you, what are you watching? What, what are you reading that you can recommend for us? Um, I knew you were going to ask this and I'm like, so unprepared for this question. I'm currently reading like the Bat- Grant, Grant Morrison, Batman omnibus. <laughs> and, um, I thought Blue and Green was a really great another book that's like jazz tangential kind of jazz related book that mm-hmm. the image just put out that's it's a very attractive book that you should everyone should check out um and I just watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix I I hope you loved it as much as I did I I have quite a bit that of it that I'm critical of Uh-oh um, but that's a different conversation. I thought it was beautifully filmed. I I appreciated I appreciated the that it then the sadly the the novel aspect of having a character who's a woman who just wins all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, you know, there were some aspects of it that I that I felt like left me a little bit like um 
cold. And um, and what else? This is the time of year when my wife and I just watch like tons of like like crappy holiday movies and just like <laughs> talk about how we would rewrite them or just kind of like brainstorm. Um, she like she she's a an amazing editor she she maybe hates it when i say this but i don't know maybe she likes it uh that she's a she's a great editor so like whenever we watch um movies together whether they're good or bad we always have these amazing conversations afterwards about like what character moments felt unearned and mm-hmm. um and it's especially funny to do that when you're watching like an all-time horrible christmas movie <laughs> <laughs> It's a good exercise in editing, I suppose. Cool, cool. cool. It's not a great list of things to recommend. I'm not recommending, honestly, uh, many things at all. Um, so, I don't know. What am I reading? What else? I, I like, you know, Once in Future is a great book that's coming out right now. I, that one always makes it. Uh, Thompson Heller is awesome. <laughs> uh, I also, my, my friend Caitlin Yarsky has a book that's coming out right now on Image called Bliss. She's a fantastic artist. Um, definitely someone to keep keep your eyes on. She's just a beast. Um, and then uh, looking at my oh, I I love Ginseng Roots, Craig Thompson's current uh, monthly or bi monthly book. Um, what else am I checking out every month? I don't know, man. That's maybe that's it right now. I mean, I buy a lot more than that, but but just like everybody else, my stack of comics to read is like probably like over a thousand at this point. I just am banking on maybe getting really sick one day and being bedridden. <laughs> well, so, yeah. I, th- I think we've got a fee to go on there. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Right on. Uh, well, well, thank you so much for having uh, the time and, c- and coming onto the the show. Um, before I let you go, um, remind folks how they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, my website is davechismmusic.com. Um, and then my Twitter handle is twitter.com slash chism Dave. So it's like my last name and then my first name. And then uh, on Instagram, I am the Dave Chisholm the Dave Chisholm. And then, uh, I have like a Facebook artist page that I rarely update called Dave Chisholm music and comics. Um, but fa- Facebook just is just, just sucks, man. <laughs> it just sucks. Like you, you there, you can't get traction if you don't pay for it. Yeah. And of course, you know, we all had, had that time period where we all accepted every friend request that came our way just about. And, some random person that you don't remember from college or high school somehow reached out to you. And then, uh, you know, at the time it, it didn't mean anything, but then, you know, seven or eight years later, you get reminded about their terrible political opinions on an hourly basis. And then it's, it's just a terrible platform. It's just really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So on that sour note, we wish everyone goodbye uh, and, and tell them to, to uh, read all the fun books. Yes. Charlie Parker, Thompson Heller, etc. 
Milton, thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Take it easy.